For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 75, the NBA 75 episode. And rather than me providing a fun fact for tonight's episode, I'm going to instead pose a question to both of you, Bruce and World B. Who do you think was the biggest snub on the NBA 75 team? Bruce? I'm going to go with uh, Alex English, Denver Nuggets legend, eight-time All-Star, NBA scoring champion in 1983, three-time All-NBA second team, 25,613 career points. That's number 21 all-time. And he was the first player to score 2,000 points in eight straight seasons. So uh, I would have loved to have seen Alex English make the squad. Seems like a solid selection there. Will be, who do you got? Uh, my pick is uh, Nikola Jokic. I think uh, at the time, he was only a one-time MVP. He hadn't gone back-to-back yet at the time of the selection. Uh, he was, a, I believe, on three All-NBA teams, including two first teams by that time, three All-Stars or four All-Star teams. Uh, he had credentials. Uh, one of my, He didn't have a championship at this point, but one of my favorite players, uh, Bill Walton, his credentials in terms of All-NBA teams – at that point, matched up very well with him, and we've seen uh, Jokic actually, you know, go and surpass uh, surpass that and become an even bigger deal. But I thought at the time he his credentials were worthy of all seventy five. Yeah, no doubt about that. And if he wasn't then, he certainly is now. So total yes. total agreement with you there. Um, as for mine, I've got to go with my man Vince Carter, best dunker of all time. Absolutely sparked the interest level of NBA hoops in Canada and scored over 25,000 career points along with 4,500 assists, 800 blocks, and 500 three-pointers, joining only Michael Jordan and LeBron James to ever accomplish those numbers. So got to go with VC15 there. But before we get any further into our opening tip, just a reminder, the last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access anytime. Head to BetOnline today to get in on the action. And don't forget to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And tonight, World B, I'll start with you for opening tip. Well, thank you, Ross. For our listeners who only follow the NBA, allow me to introduce you to someone named Joshua Dobbs. Dobbs is a journeyman NFL quarterback who last week was traded from the Cardinals, where he had been the starter all season in place of their regular starter, to the Vikings, who lost their starting quarterback just a week earlier. Dobbs was traded on a Tuesday arrived on a Wednesday, 
and then before Sunday learned an off new offense or at least enough of an offense to get by before his game on against the Falcons on Sunday. He was only supposed to serve as a backup, but came in to replace uh, replace the Minnesota starter when he got hurt. And then all Dobbs did was proceed as lead, lead his team to a dramatic 31-28 victory over the Falcons, throwing a game-winning touchdown pass with less than 30 seconds. Why am I telling you this? Because I wanted to point out the difference there can be between a journeyman NBA player who goes above and beyond what is asked of him simply to help his team succeed and a guy like James Harden, a player who is hardly a journeyman in the NBA, but rather one of the greatest ever played this sport. He, as you may recall, was also traded last Tuesday or Monday night into Tuesday morning, however you want to look at it, but you get the picture. But while his team, the Clippers, were beginning in the beginning stages of trying to establish themselves as a real contender in the Western Conference, all we got to hear from Harden were some shots he took at the 76ers on his way out the door. And like too many of his shots on the court, these were way off as well. His most pathetic comment was a claim that the 76ers, quote, put him on a leash. But it was nice that he found it in his heart to praise himself for not only be not just being the system player, but being, quote, the system. Probably too much too late in the game for James Harden to change his personality. But taking a lesson from a team guy first like Joshua Dobbs wouldn't be a waste of time for a me first player like Harden. Yeah, well said there will be. And a great uh, cross-reference there with some football action as well. So hopefully our listeners enjoyed that. Bruce, what do you got for us? Well, I'm a Patriots fan, so I won't be doing any cross-referencing of that <laughs> squad. Uh, now, now I know what it feels like to be a Jets fan for all these years. But I digress. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans are off to a 4-2 and two start heading into Monday night's game against the Denver Nuggets. They've done it despite a series of injuries to Trey Murphy, Jose Alvarado, and Najee Marshall, none of whom had played a game through Sunday. Brandon Ingram even missed three of the first six games. Frequently injured Zion Williamson has played five of their six games and leads the team in scoring, so hopefully he can remain healthy for the first time in three seasons. But the team received some really bad news over the weekend when C.J. McCollum suffered a collapsed right lung. It's the second time in his career that McCollum has been plagued with this condition. In addition to his veteran leadership, C.J. is second on the team in scoring and leads the team in assists, steals, and minutes played. He's also one of the finest individuals in the entire league. He's been a guest analyst on ESPN as well as a philanthropist and a mentor to underserved youth. If you're looking for a great guy that you should be rooting for, it's C.J. McCollum. So get well soon, C.J. Yeah, definitely give our best out to C.J. McCollum. And this is some tough news for the Pelicans that just can't seem to keep their star players on the court healthy. So such a shame uh, for the Pelicans fans. As for my opening tip, I'd like to bring some shine to my favorite rookie so far to watch this season, and that is Detroit's Asar Thompson. Simply put, Asar is Monty Williams's new Mikel Bridges. Asar is a Swiss Army knife with his speed, size, and explosive athleticism. He's already proven to be a versatile defender, always up for the toughest defensive uh, assignments out on the court. And he's been absolutely elite on the boards and moves well off the ball offensively, which is important in that system with Cade Cunningham. Through his first seven career games, Asar is playing just over 30 minutes a night, starters minutes, averaging 11 points a game to go along with nine rebounds, four assists, 
two blocks and a steal per contest. The shooting certainly must improve, but we might have ourselves Sean Marion 2.0 in the making, and that really excites me. So uh, next time you get a chance to watch the Detroit Pistons, keep an eye out for Asar Thompson, and I think you're going to like what you see. With that, let's go ahead and talk about another rookie here in our first quarter, and that is Victor Wenbanyama and the San Antonio Spurs, who are off to a fast start. Had a nice uh, back-to-back road set here uh, in Phoenix uh, last week. They swept the Suns. I think we'll get to the Suns later. But, uh, Bruce, I'll start with you. I mean, what are your immediate reactions here? It seems like Victor's for real. Well, let's throw out Monday night's debacle against the Indiana Pacers where they're going to be <laughs> losing that game by probably somewhere around 40 or 45 points. So toss that one, okay? <laughs> but going into Monday's game, the Spurs were 3-3. Three and three. Last season, as we remember, they finished 22-60. and 60. They won the draft lottery and drafted, you know, you-know-who. Well, it's still early, but you-know-who is leading the Spurs in scoring, rebounding blocks and steals while playing 30 minutes a game. He's uh, the Spurs are going into Monday. We're tied for seventh in the Western Conference, and uh, when Benyama is the main reason, uh, although he has gotten lots of help from Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson, Zach Collins, and even our old pal Doug McDermott, who's been on fire from downtown. Uh, he's excelled on offense, and he can score from anywhere on the court. I mean, his court vision is sick, and those who have challenged him by going to the rim against him, well, let's just put it this way: they've learned that that's not really a very good idea. So I think Ross and I both picked Scoot Henderson to win Rookie of the Year. But if Victor continues to do what he's done so far, he'll follow in the footsteps of former Spurs David Robinson and Tim Duncan, who both won Rookie of the Year honors and eventually multiple championships as well. So Victor Wenbanyana, um, really impressive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so far, so good for everything with San Antonio and Victor's status. I mean, uh, I wasn't quite expecting it this early here. I think one of the things that we do need to keep in mind here with this Spurs team, especially here on Monday night where they got blown out in Indiana, is that Devin Vassell injury certainly hurts them a ton. He is one of their biggest point production guys on that team. Obviously, uh, you know, Victor's playing on a back-to-back, so that's going to be tough as well uh, for a young rookie. But uh, we'll be, what, what, have, what are your biggest takeaways so far with Victor and, and the Spurs so far this season? Well, we, as far as Victor goes, we figured he was going to be an a impact guy on the defensive end, probably more in the offensive end. And really, if you watch him and you look at the numbers, he really has been lived up to that hype on the defensive end. I mean, when he is the closest defender – to, to a shooter, the shooters, those opponents are shooting just 26% from the field when he's the closest guy defending. It's it's an insane – you just don't have somebody that length and that skill set, that height, that can do all those things. I brought up with a, a friend of mine over the weekend. I was saying how I think he is the way we all thought from the 80s and we thought Ralph Sansa was going to be when he came in the league. Seven foot four, same frame. Ball skills, we thought he was going to be like that. Injuries kind of took that away from him. But this is the kind of player we figured Ralph Sampson would be. And Victor is becoming uh, just that guy. He's a big guy when the game gets tight so far. He scored uh, 23 points in what the NBA classifies as clutch minutes, where the game is within five points with five minutes to go or in overtime. When he gets to that stage, they, he's played in 24 minutes and scored 23 points. So he's been really productive in those closing moments. Uh, 
the one thing is he hasn't had a huge impact as a team on the Spurs defense. There's, when he's on the court, they're absolutely getting shelled on defense to the tune of, I think, like 123 points per 100 possession, which is an astronomically large number. That, that'll, that'll get you in last place in the league in defense if you keep that up. So he's got work to do. But, yeah, the, I mean, the skill set is obviously there, and it's really impressive to see. And you listen to the comments by other coaches and other players. I mean, he's really making an impact on this league and opening everybody's eyes. He definitely is, and he's also helping a lot of his teammates out too that are benefiting from the amount of attention that Victor Wembanyama gets on a nightly basis. One of those guys got paid this summer right before the start of the season is off to a tremendous start, and that is Zach Collins. He's been a guy that obviously came into the league with a lot of talent out of Gonzaga. Uh, you know, health has probably been the biggest deterrent to his career so far, but he's remained healthy so far this year, and he's seen a, a ton of opportunity whether it be points, rebounds, and assists, just because the floor is so open for him because everybody's focused on where Wemby is and can't let Wemby get too close to the basket because then you just throw it 13 feet high up in the air and Wembam Yama is going to figure things out and and make the the correct play. So um, I had had a lot of fun watching that back-to-back set uh, against the Suns here in Phoenix. Was quite surprised that the Suns fell to – the Spurs in that second meeting. I thought for sure with Devin Booker being back in that rotation, uh, the Suns would kind of get it together, but that was the big Wemby game. I think he ended with 36 points on the night, came up with some big shots as uh, World Beal alluded to there with the clutch minutes and the clutch points. So uh, yeah, so far he's proven me wrong. Now, I don't know about you, Bruce, but you know, do you think this is sustainable him playing starters minutes, 30 plus minutes a night in the league? And uh, you know, I still got injury concerns. Do you guys? And I'll start with you, Bruce. Well, going into the season when we were talking about, you know, who we thought would be rookie of the year, one of the things that I mentioned was I thought that Pop was probably going to keep his minutes somewhat under control uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, that he was only a 19-year-old guy and maybe was going to make a lot of mistakes or perhaps to protect him from getting hurt. Um, But just Watching the way he moves, I mean, I think he's going to avoid a lot of contact because he seems like he's got really good footwork. Um, When he gets out on the break and he's running like, you know, in the lanes on the break, I mean, it doesn't take him very many steps to get from one end of the court to the other. When he's he's going full speed, I mean, he's like a gazelle out there. So um, I'm sure, you know, they're going to want to have him hit the weight room and, and put on some pounds. I mean, you mentioned Zach Collins. Zach's like 6'11", 250. So Wemby needs to get a little bit closer, Not maybe not 250, but he needs to put on a little bit more beef. But uh, you then wonder, if he does put on extra weight, is that going to affect his speed going up and down the court? I would think probably not because he's not going to gain 60 pounds, I don't think. But who knows? Yeah. No, he, he certainly is one of those uh... – rare athletes of I feel like Wemby's kind of like a Giannis they keep just adding size and they're just such a freak athlete that he's going to be able to continue to move as he did at 19 so uh we'll be real quickly here with you do you have any injury concerns or amount of usage right now with, with Wemby or you just love to see it and see how long it goes uh I I think he's going to play as long as he can I you, you have to let him go through the rookie uh wall as it were yeah. I think that helps you and that gets you going. I mean, there's always going to be concerns with him because of his build injury-wise. There's always going to be that concern. But you can't just not play him 
to avoid that, I don't think. I think you play him, you know, as long as you can. There, he's breathing a, a ton of life into the Spurs and the franchise and the fan base. So you don't want to just take that away and hope, you know, because you're worried about his injuries. It's going to happen or it's not going to happen. You just, I, for me right now, enjoy it. Yeah, no, no question about that. And seeing well, the All Star game too, by the way. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Rising, Bulls. rising stars or legit All Star. Plays like this, where you don't think he's going to find a spot in the All Star game. Yeah. Plays this way. If he plays this way now, he's got to keep it going. He's. Yeah. We're two weeks in. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that. <laughs> well, as we get into the second quarter here, something a little less enjoyable, especially here locally in Phoenix. The Suns are stumbling out of the gates. Now, they did get a big win on Sunday in Detroit. Um, but prior to that, they had lost three straight. Brad Beal has yet to play a game. Devin Booker couldn't even suit up back home in Detroit, which is a homecoming, being that he's a Michigan kid. And uh, Kevin Durant, despite playing extremely well right now, I mean, how how long can he continue to hold up doing this all by himself? You know, I would have concerns if I'm the Suns that this is Chris Paul two years ago, you know, kind of wearing down throughout the season with so much usage. Um, Bruce, I'll start with you. What, what's your take on the Suns? I mean, they're supposed to be one of the more exciting teams heading into the year. Well, you know, I, I picked them to make the Western Conference Finals and and battle Denver uh, and lose to Denver. But, hey, that means that they're one of the top four teams in the league. At least that's what I thought heading in. Uh, you mentioned KD. He's played in all of their games. He's the only member of their big three to do that. Uh, and he is still a scoring machine. I mean, he's averaging just a tick under 30 a game. But as you mentioned, Devin Booker's missed five of the seven games. Uh, Beal is yet to play, and he's battling back problems, and that's never a good thing for no. anybody in a basketball environment. But honestly, it's really way too soon to judge the Suns. When we recorded 48 minutes four weeks ago, I was concerned about the Suns' health with Durant and Booker each missing significant time over the past three seasons. And I said Beal might need to carry much more of the load if those guys got hurt again. Well... Now his health is shaky. The situation in Phoenix, as a result, bears some real watching. It was a top-heavy team at the beginning of the season that was built around the big three. But if KD is forced to carry too much of the load himself, um, with limited help from Beal and Booker, things could go sideways pretty quickly for new head coach Frank Vogel. Uh, now Booker has been ruled out of Wednesday's game, and it's been a few days since Beal's status was updated. So for now... The Phoenix big three is Kevin Durant, Eric Gordon, and Grayson Allen. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> World B, what do you got on Phoenix? Uh, you know, it's weird. They had their two worst defensive games against the Spurs in that um, in that back-to-back. They're, they're not really getting it done in the uh, close games, and that's probably attributed to not having Booker, not having Beal there to go to. They're only – in those games that are clutch that have clutch minutes, they're just one and three. So they need to improve on that. I'm not really concerned just yet. Of the injury thing is a, a little bit of a concern. As Bruce mentioned, if you're an athlete, you never want to have back problems. I don't care what sport it is. It's ruined so many careers. You just don't want that to be a problem. Um but I I think they'll be they'll be fine going forward. Kevin Durant obviously must be thinking to himself, I let I just didn't I have this in Brooklyn? I had the big three in Brooklyn and nobody ever played with me. Is that how it feels like? Uh, but, you know, his his thing is right now, 
his shot selection, he's not taking a whole lot of threes. He's getting his points inside. I mean, he's, he's been the king of the mid-range for a long, long time, him and DeRozan down in Chicago. But so he's his uh, three-point rate, like how often he shoots it, is really low to start the season for whatever reason. He's still getting those points. Uh, I'm not worried about him yet, but you know, because you, you want to see him at full strength. You want to see him how they operate yeah. when they have everybody together. Um and then if they do and they need a prolonged season, you know, a prolonged uh, time on the court together, then then watch out maybe. Yeah. No, they, they still have a lot to figure out. I mean, I've, I've been, of course, watching a ton of Phoenix Suns basketball here early on uh, just kind of see what this new group looks like, especially since I do like all the welcome additions to that rotation. Eric Gordon's been great. Drew Eubanks has been phenomenal off that bench. Big Nurk as I like to refer to him, so I don't slaughter his name here live on the podcast. Uh, he's been pretty up and down. I have not been too impressed with what I've seen from Nurkic so far this season. Uh, he, he definitely needs us to kind of step up and help out, especially with some points down low. I don't see him establishing enough low post position. He's not grabbing as many rebounds as we anticipated. I mean, that was the biggest gripe with uh, Aiton last year was that he wasn't rebounding. You know, all you have to do is rebound and run the floor. Nurk is running the floor, but he's not running to the he's not running into the paint. He's not grabbing rebounds, so it's kind of the same problem they had last year uh, in, in that regard. So, um, really need to see a little bit more from those reserves. Our our guy Yuta the shooter Watanabe, he has uh, not been shooting the ball too well to start the year. But Grayson Allen, a name that we definitely have uh, talked about on this show quite a bit, uh, has put together some big games for the team as well, and. Uh, I think once Booker comes back, they'll be in much better shape. And then if they can ever get Beal back into the mix here, and that back is a concern. Um, if Beal can get back into that mix, they're going to be a scary team if they get rolling. But uh, until then, I mean, it's going to be a rocky road. So uh, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on them moving forward. And with that, we've gone ahead and reached the halftime buzzer. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of the third quarter. And, Bruce, I couldn't help but notice your hat that you have on here tonight. We're going to talk about the Boston Celtics, who are certainly looking like a juggernaut out there so far. Um, I'll just lay it up to you here, Bruce, and you you tell us what you're seeing so far. You're going to be our uh, subject matter expert, and uh, I'm beyond impressed. Some teams look like championship contenders from the jump. We've seen teams that look like this. Now, I'm not going to compare them to like Chicago Bulls or any of that kind of thing, but some teams just kind of bust out of the gate and they just have this sort of look about them, like they're out to just like win every single game. And that's what the Celtics are starting to look like uh, so far this season. Going into Monday, and they're locked up in a very tight game as we speak with Minnesota, who's also having a really good start to their season. But going into Monday, they're the only undefeated team. They're 5-0. and They're 3-0 and on the road. They lead the league in scoring, rebounding, lowest opposing field goal percentage, point differential, and rebound differential. In other words, all the key stats for teams, you know, they're right at the top. They dropped 155 in a 51-point win over the Pacers, and they've arguably got the best starting five in basketball with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kristaps Porzingis, Drew Holiday, and Derek White. All five of their starters average between 14 and 30 points, with Tatum leading the way. 
Uh, their sixth man is Al Horford, who's playing just 21 minutes a game, and he's not putting up any offensive numbers, but he's really good when it comes to the kind of team things that don't necessarily show up in the box score. So right now, you know, he's he's been the sixth man, and because he's playing so few minutes, 21 a game, he ought to be fresh for the postseason, and really the main thing he'll do in the postseason is guard Giannis if they play each other in the playoffs. That's kind of what he's you know, expected to to do. So, yes, their offense is lethal, but their defense is just as impressive. I'm nicknaming Holiday and White the Wardens because they lock people up on the perimeter. And if anyone should slip out of their custody, there's 7-3 Porzingis standing there at the rim with his hands up. Um, Brown has always been a solid defender, and Tatum's controlling the boards, nearly 10 rebounds to go with his 30 points. So, Yes, the, the the first five, first six is good. The rest of their bench, kind of a work in progress. Grant Williams gone, Malcolm Brogdon gone. But their big victory margins have allowed them to get their reserves lots of minutes. So that's getting them ready for more significant time. Peyton Pritchard, O'Shea Brissett, Sam Hauser, Luke Cornetto, and Horford are all playing double-digit minutes. So, uh, so far, there's really nothing not to love about the Celtics. No doubt about it. World B. Not Bruce at all, but uh, <laughs> I got more, but I wanted to give you a chance. Oh, I appreciate that, Bruce. <laughs> uh, yeah, we saw this. Yeah. We we saw this all before, uh, just one season ago. They got off to a great start, 21 and 5, I believe. And their offense at that point was about four points per hundred possessions better than anybody else. This season, it's only been two weeks. They're about five points better per 100 possessions than anybody else. And that's a big, big deal. If you if you lead in efficiency offensively by two points more than somebody, that's a big gap. They're doing it by four last season, so far by five. So it's a really – it's during the summer, during the preseason, when they made the trade for KP, I said they're going all in on offense. And they absolutely are showing that. But to Bruce's point – they haven't really lost it on the defense. Their regular starting five, as Bruce mentioned, those those five players, when they're on the court together, they're holding opponents under 90 points per 100 possessions, which is a in any era is a ridiculous number. In this era of offensive efficiency, that's really impressive. So if they can keep that going, yes, they can start printing up final tickets already. So we'll see how, how that goes. One thing about this team, Bruce mentioned how bad they're blowing teams out. They're absolutely destroying teams right out of the gate. Yep. Their net efficiency in the first quarter is, looking it up right here, plus 36.7 points per 100 possessions. That's like leading 50 to 10 after the first quarter. I mean, they're doing that's kind of what they're doing. They're absolutely destroying teams. They have a, in the first half, it's like 27 per 100 possessions. They absolutely put games away early, as Bruce said. Gives a lot of time to the reserves. So they're they're really impressive. Their schedule has lent itself to such blowouts. It's nice to play the Pacers in their defense and the Wizards, who are a becoming a clown of uh, organization, which I'll address here at the end of the show. But yeah, they're they've benefited from that. And we'll see going forward when they get matched up a little bit. But they do have a win over my Knicks already. So who am I to talk about their schedule? Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought you pointed out just how they're getting out to strong starts because that's what I have noticed, especially since I'm on the West Coast. I usually don't see the, 
you know, the very start of games, but I'm checking box scores. And every time I'm looking at the Celtics, you know, they're off to strong starts, strong first halves, and they really just continue to build on that. I feel like they're just continuing to pick up momentum. I know that Christoph Porzingis had a, had a line for the media the other day. He's like, if you guys think we're playing well now, just wait for a couple more months because we're just going to continue to get in that groove. And we're really seeing that right now because, as Bruce alluded to, these reserves are getting a ton of minutes. So it's going to become a pl- plug-and-play midway through the season where we're going to see guys step up off that bench, maybe give some of those starters a little bit of a break. And uh, I think what I like most about this group is just how much they are bought into one another. And you can totally tell that in the games that I've watched so far and in and, and the quarters that I, I've been able to, to take in minute by minute. I mean, these guys are playing the right way on both sides of the floor. They're sacrificing for one another. There seems to be a great communication amongst them all. And it's quite impressive to see that, especially having added a guy like Drew Holiday so late because we are seeing the Bucks obviously struggling with that so far. Of course, they have a new coach this year that's kind of going through some of the same struggles I'm sure Missoula had last season with Boston, but uh, you know, it's a very early take here guys, but uh, so far it appears our podcast more so helped the Celtics than it did the bucks. And I'll just leave it with that. <laughs> well, you know, you, 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 you talked a little bit about the, the schedule not being the most challenging so far. And of course there's no denying that, but here's the thing. They're going to play the Sixers twice on the road over the next week, plus like eight days or whatever. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle Joel Embiid because he has always destroyed Boston's bigs. But now that he's kind of matched up with Porzingis, Porzingis is spending a a good deal of his time out by the three-point arc, and he's shown that he can make that shot. So that means that Joel is probably going to have to go out there and show a little bit on defense. He may not go all the way out, but that's going to take him away. It's going to probably cause him to use, you know, a little bit more energy on defense than he's used to using against Boston's, you know, bigs. Uh, so with him chasing Porzingis on the perimeter, um, that will hopefully, for Boston anyway, uh, make him use a little bit more energy on defense than he's used in the past because he absolutely manhandled Boston's front line so far in his career. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and get to our fourth quarter here. We're going to do something new here. Uh, Kudos to you, Bruce, with the idea. We're going to do a three-man weave, and that's going to be a variety of different topics. And we're going to start out west with Chris Paul embracing his new role with the Golden State Warriors. Bruce, I'll hand it over to you. Talk a little bit more about CP3. You know, going into the season, I questioned whether 12-time All-Star Chris Paul would accept coming off the bench after starting every game during his previous 18 NBA seasons. Well, so far, so good. Although he's come off the bench in five of the team's seven games, he's third on the team in minutes played, okay? He leads the team in steals as well as assists. He's dropping eight dimes a game and playing just under 29 minutes uh, a game. He has a nine-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, and the Warriors were five-and-two through Sunday. They were playing Monday night. Uh, That game is... Uh, well, they were leading Detroit late. I don't know what the final was. It may still be going. But his um, his presence has allowed Steve Kerr to slightly trim the minutes played by Steph Curry and Klay Thompson by a minute or two a game. Not major, but they're playing a little bit, you know, fewer minutes. So that should uh, 
keep them a little bit fresher for the playoffs. So I would say right now, you know, I'm giving Chris Paul an A in his new role. Yeah, no, no question about that. I think Chris Paul is definitely uh, giving Steve Kerr quite a luxury to be able to kind of just transfer from ball handler Curry to ball handler Paul, play him at the same time if you want to, to kind of go smaller. Um, but it, it gives him a lot of different options that he didn't have the year prior, especially with a guy like Jordan Poole, who was certainly not someone you could trust last year uh, to make the right decisions. Now he has two guys that know how to make winning plays. World B, what's your thoughts on uh, Chris Paul and his uh, Warriors debut thus far? Uh, it's been it's been interesting in that he's having a terrible shooting uh, time so far. First couple of weeks, he's really, really had a horrible time shooting, and it hasn't impacted them. You know, when he's on the court, they're outscoring opponents by over 10 points per 100 possessions. I mean, that's that's impressive, to say the least. And to me, I mentioned to Bruce before we went on, the Warriors have been the most impressive team two weeks in. of I mean, Even more than the Celtics, just because of who they've played so far, they're 4-1 and one on the road. We talked about how bad they were on the road last year. It was really mm-hmm. their bugaboo until they you know, pulled that one out in Game 7 in Sacramento. Uh, but until then, we we had no confidence in their road ability. Now they've started four and one. They've beaten the Kings twice already. They've beaten OKC. They're they're really doing a good job so far. And yeah, that that group right there doesn't seem to be you know of all the trades that were going on, that one we had the biggest question mark about because we didn't know how Chris Paul was going to fit in. He's not shooting well, but he's fitting in just fine otherwise. Yeah, and they're winning road games so far this year, something that uh, we didn't see much of last year. So uh, I think some credit could go to more of a veteran presence off that bench as well as he tries to get some of the younger guys like Moody and Kaminga acclimated into the NBA. And for for our second half here of the uh, three-man weave, let's talk about the 76ers. They are now 4-1 and one without James Harden, soon to be 5-1 and one if they haven't already finished that game, but they are – Definitely uh, on their way of winning here on Monday night as of taping. Um, first thing that's really stood out to me with this team has been Tyrese Maxey. I mean, he certainly looks prepared and ready to take over this team, be a, a franchise face alongside Joel Embiid. Another guy that certainly deserves some flowers here is Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is off to a phenomenal start in Philadelphia this year. He's an often criticized and a guy that's always – uh, tossed out in trade rumors, but it's about time we give him some love. He's made a huge impact on Philly's four and one start. And uh, believe it or not, we did have a fan question. If you guys remember about two or three months ago now, probably why hasn't Kelly Oubre been signed yet? And maybe our listener had a, uh, a good point there because Kelly Oubre has been a heck of a player for this team so far. He's really, helped with the scoring load, and this this team's putting up some big numbers. World B, I'll start with you. I mean, I, I'm sure you've had a chance to kind of just look at their efficiency and whatnot. You know, what's your big takeaway with the Sixers without James Harden? Well, Bruce mentioned last week when the trade happened, he thought it would be an addition by subtraction, and so far it doesn't seem to be just that. Um you know, last year, I think I mentioned, they were one of three teams to be in the top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency uh, with the Sixers, the Cavs, and the Celtics. Well, this season, they're in the top five in both. So, it's you know, it's uh, it really nothing's changed for them in terms of their all-around skills. Um, you know, you mentioned Maxi. There's five players in the league entering this week 
who are averaging 25 points and six assists a game. And the Sixers have two of them in MD and Massey. So, you know, that's a good recipe for success. Uh, they've really been impressive. You could make the case, I said the word, but you could make the case that the Sixers have been the most impressive team so far. Um, and I'll say this. You mentioned uh, the one thing about them is do you really think you're going to get 46% shooting from the three from Kelly Oubre for a whole season. Do you really think Tobias Harris is going to shoot 70% and effective field goal percentage? If you get that, yeah, you're right up there with the Celtics and the best and and the Bucks in the East. You can, you can be right there again. Third best record in the league last year. Don't forget. It wasn't the Denver Nuggets. It wasn't anybody out West. It was the Sixers right behind Milwaukee and Boston. So, so far it's been impressive. Yeah, no doubt. Bruce. You know, the 76ers have found life after James Harden to be pretty, pretty sweet, okay? <laughs> You've both mentioned Embiid and Maxi. They've both been brilliant, combining for nearly 56 points a game. We've You guys both mentioned Tobias Harris. He's averaging 20 a game. That's four above his career average, and he's been super efficient, as World B pointed out. I mean, 65% from the floor overall more than 44% from downtown. I mean, those are just huge numbers. And you both mentioned Kelly Oubre Jr., who never saw a shot or a mirror that he didn't like, okay? <laughs> he's filling it up, 21 a game, 21 points a game. And he's moved into the starting lineup since the uh, Harden trade and, you know, with P.J. Tucker leaving town. So he's now in the starting lineup. Those four guys are all averaging 20 or more a game. I mean, I don't think any other team in the league is close to that, okay? Uh, their defense has been really solid. They hold their own on the boards. They're third in points differential at twelve point at plus 12.1 a game. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, we were talking about the Celtics before. They're going to get the Celtics twice at home over the next, like, eight days. So those games should really be, like, must-watch TV because you're talking, as, as World B said, about – a team in Philly that's been really impressive. And, you know, we don't need to say anything else about Boston right now, uh, although they've got their hands full with Minnesota on Monday night. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's going to be a heck of a matchup. I think it's really going to give us uh, uh, some clarity on just how real this start is for like guys like Tobias Harris and Kelly Oubre, because they're obviously going to be tested defensively. We know Joel Embiid can score the ball. I'm pretty confident Maxie's going to get his 20 points, but it's about those other X factors. Can they step up and continue to play at a high level against the best teams in the league and Boston being the best team in the league as of right now? So um, that should certainly be a fun one. Now, as far as one of the worst teams in the league, maybe not one you would have imagined earlier on this year, that is the Memphis Grizzlies. They are now 1-6 on the season, just getting their first victory on Sunday night in Portland on another weird back-to-back -back road set in Portland where they lost the first one, of course. And so I ask you, Bruce, is head coach Taylor Jenkins on the hot seat? Well, you got to feel bad for the guy. I mean, he has been dealt a terrible hand. I mean, no John Morant for the first 25 games. Loses Steven Adams for the entire season. All right. We'll see if the Grizzlies management likes him enough to cut him some slack or whether they're going to fire him if they need a fall guy. Uh, but you just got to pity this team overall. They finally, as you mentioned, Ross, won a game on Sunday against Portland. They haven't been blown out, really, 
so to speak. I mean, three of their six losses are by seven points or fewer, okay? And with Morant out for 18 more games, I mean, their postseason hopes are seriously going to be in jeopardy. Uh, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., without Adams, has kind of been on his own trying to hold down, you know, the the – you know, the defense, as far as their bigs are concerned, uh, he's really their only rim protector at this point. Desmond Bain has been getting buckets, but he's taken a lot of shots. I mean, he's like jacking them up left and right. Uh, Marcus Smart has played well at the point, and he continues to grind on defense. But, you know, if they're like, you know, 5-20 and 20 when John Morant comes back, it doesn't matter what John Morant does. <laughs> that team will pretty much be playing meaningless games the rest of the way. I totally agree, especially in the Western Conference where it's highly competitive, lots of good basketball teams. going to be really hard to kind of dig yourself out of that hole. World B, what's your thoughts on Memphis thus far? Well, I agree with Bruce and everything. I don't know what to expect out of Taylor Jenkins here. I mean, I, he suddenly didn't become, forget how to coach overnight. Right. So it's, he doesn't have players. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. You don't have one of the 10 best players in the league and John Morant, and you'll have one of the better bigs that suits your offense and, and Steven Adams. I mean, yeah, their, their offenses, it's weak without, you know, without one of the best players in the league, they're only what they're near the bottom in offensive efficiency. I mean, you just can't, you need to be, have offense to be, have a, be a success. And if you don't, you better have a great defense and they're just middle of the pack defensively here. They, uh, they're, they're not a great shooting team from the perimeter, but they weren't last year either. They got a lot of offensive rebounds and thanks to Adams and Jackson, whatever, but they're only 20th in offensive rebound percentage. So they can't, without the big guy in the middle, they can't afford to be uh, bad on the perimeter and they are. So it's, it's going to be tough if they really, if they are within striking distance of 500 uh, when Morant comes back, yeah, they have a chance to make some noise you know, the only reason they have a win, by the way, if you didn't notice against the Blazers, they went on a 26 to 2 run to end that game, to end yeah. the game. Yep. They were getting blown out by Portland and they went 26 and 2 to end the game. That's how they got their only win. So it's, it took that for them to get their first victory of the season. But, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to get them going. They still have players, as, as Bruce mentioned, uh, Desmond Bain is is quality player. He's a t- career 40% three-point shooter, but as Bruce mentioned, he's shooting so many threes. He's getting his points, but the percentages are just going down because he's just not shooting the ball that well. If he makes a few more, geez, we're looking at an all-star here if he can with, with he's shooting. But let's see how it goes. Yeah, Taylor Jenkins, if he gets the, the axe over something like this, shame on Memphis because he what's he supposed to do? What's yeah. he supposed to do? Yeah, well – he does have Zach some help Randolph. on the wet. Zach Go Randolph's ahead. not walking through that door. Uh, I mean, Marcus not walking through that door. Yeah. Well, you know who is walking through that door? Bizback Miambo. And I want to give you some credit here, Bruce, because uh, I believe we talked about when we talked about Stephen Adams' injury uh, a few weeks ago. We had talked about potential replacements, and I believe it was you, Bruce, that brought up <laughs> Biombo as a guy that was still out on the market, someone that could help this team, and. Uh, you know, they're undefeated with Biombo on the team. I mean, they won their first game on Sunday, so we'll see how long they can keep this going. But in all seriousness here, I do think Biombo can help this 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 group, especially a guy that, that's got veteran experience, 
Uh, obviously comes from uh, a Suns organization that was at the tops, and uh, he's a good shot blocker. So he 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 can he can set some good solid screens, play some solid defense, and uh, they're better today than they were yesterday. That's for I'll sure. S- let me say this about Bismack because I saw him play as a rookie there in Charlotte when he got drafted by the Hornets. Yeah. I saw him twice actually. He had two tours of duty with the the Hornets here. Yes, he can be a solid reserve player and he can provide a little bit of quality. But about 20 some odd years ago, my New York Mets used to have a utility player named Lenny Harris. He would play about once a week, twice a week, <laughs> pinch hit a guy, and he produced. And you would hear on radio all the time, well, he needs to play more. He needs to play. Well, there's a reason he's a reserve and he can do that stuff. If you put Lenny Harris's on the field every day, you're not going to win. Now, I like Bismack. I hope he succeeds. But if your season depends, if your success depends on Bismack Biombo, you really lost already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Bismack is, is a nice backup. You know, yes, he is. that's what he is. He's a, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. No. no, I mean you got to have role players. And, Absolutely. And so you know, and and you're right when a, when somebody like that is asked to do more than what they sort of are qualified to be able to do, they'll have some good games now and again, and then they'll have some other games where they're like, you know, why did they even take their warmups off? So, but yeah. but I like but I like Bismarck as a backup, and uh, you know, as a Marcus Smart fan, I would really like to see Memphis do a little bit better because I hate. You know, I, I wanted Marcus to end up in a good place, and so far, it's not a good place. <laughs> no, not, not just, in a good place at all. You just really hope, like you said, Bruce, that they don't—they're not five and twenty when he comes back. That they're—they're they're within striking range of going on a run because we forget just how good they really were when everybody was together last season. How how they were the talk of same thing with with uh, the Pelicans. People forget when. Zion got hurt. They were the best team in the West. It wasn't Denver. It wasn't Phoenix. It wasn't LA teams. New Orleans had the best team and had the best record when he got when he went down for good. So yeah, you want these guys on the court and you want to see how good they are. I agree with Bruce. You know, if they can stay within that striking distance of the 500 mark and then boom, get John Moran back, who should be you know ready to go and and as uh, terrifying as ever up and down the court. Yep. And uh, before we get to our final thoughts, I do have my best bet section here for our listeners here tonight. I've got five new players to keep in mind for parlays and prop bets. A couple we've already mentioned here tonight. I'm going to start off with the San Antonio Spurs and Seti Usman. He's good for seven-plus points a night, especially with Devin Vassell now sidelined. Usman has scored seven-plus in seven of his first eight games this year. And with Vassell out, I like his chances there. So keep an eye on him. Number two. Asar Thompson, six rebounds a night is a no-brainer. He's grabbed at least six rebounds in all but one of his first seven games, and he's only getting better with time. Number three, we've got Kyle Kuzma. 20-plus points a night is a guarantee from this guy. Many thought Poole would be the team's leader in points. That hasn't been the case on a consistent basis thus far this year. It's been Kuz delivering points production as he scored 20 points in each game. Tobias Harris of the Philadelphia 76ers, he's averaging 20 points per game, but I wouldn't put him at 20. I think it's safe to throw him down for 14 points a night on a parlay. He's scored 15-plus in each game so far this season, so 14's nice and safe. And last but not least, I'm going back to him, Biz Mac Biombo. He's good for eight rebounds a game. He grabbed 11 in his debut game with the Grizzlies. 
He should certainly continue to likely play starters minutes, whether Bruce and Will B agree. That's kind of what Taylor Jenkins has to work with. So uh, if he's out there, he's probably going to at least grab some boards. So uh, if you're looking to put together a same-game parlay or a same-game parlay X, keep those five names in mind. And with that, let's get to our final thoughts, and I'll go to Bruce first. James Harden, who we talk about frequently on this show, made his debut on Monday night for the L.A. Clippers after coming over from Philly in a trade on November 1st. The 34-year-old Harden was in the starting lineup alongside 33-year-old Paul George, 32-year-old Kawhi Leonard, and soon-to-be 35-year-old Russell Westbrook. The fifth starter for L.A. is Baby, 26-year-old Evika Zubats. L.A. also added 38-year-old P.J. Tucker in the Harden trade as a key reserve. So, having such an old team, always risky, especially because Harden, George, and Leonard have missed significant time due to injury over the past few years. We've talked about this before. Now, many people feel the addition of Harden makes the Clippers a team that could win it all, but this move reminds me more of the 2004 Lakers who added old men like Horace Grant, Gary Payton, and Carl Malone to the Shaq, Kobe, Rick Fox Corps and actually did make it to the finals before being smoked in five games by the Pistons. If this crew remains healthy, they could come out of the West, although I have my doubts. And by the way, in Harden's Monday night debut against the Knicks, he scored 17 points. The Clippers lost 111 to 97. And Harden, although he only took nine shots to get his 17 points, ended up with a tied for team worst minus 18. So Ooh. good luck, Ty Lu, with that geriatric crew you got there in uh, L.A. We'll see where that all ends up. Yep, world B. I'm just trying to go over the fact we've mentioned Bismack Biombo more times than <laughs> we've mentioned uh, LeBron James in this episode. Hey. By the way, just so that was the first time. That that was the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just thinking of it just as it happened. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. <laughs> to, uh, to quote Ricky O'Donnell of uh, SB Nation, Jordan Poole, Washington Wizards is going to be must see TV. He's right about that, but for anyone who thinks that was O'Donnell's way of passing a compliment, think again. Already this season, we have seen Poole throw an alley-oop pass off the backboard to his teammate Kyle Kuzma with his team down 20 points. In another game, we saw him attempt to emulate his ex-teammate Seth Curry by taking a three-pointer and then turning his back to the shot in order to stare down the opposing bench. I won't give away the result of that shot, except to say that construction workers could have used a brick like that. <laughs> the rest of his game so far has followed his bizarre on-court behavior. He enjoyed the worst plus-minus of anyone in the league last week, minus 72 in less than 75 minutes over a three-game span. So best unintentional comedic performance was an actual end-of-the-season NBA award, Poole would certainly have a leg up on the competition. Hey, World B and Ross, who do you think will be the first Washington teammate to punch him in the face this year? Oh, goodness. <laughs> probably Daniel Gafford. That's probably my guess. He's the first name that came to mind. But uh, I'll, I'll say Kyle Kuzma if he keeps getting alley-oops like that. I'll say this, though, Bruce. I mean, after World B's final thoughts there, I, he's the last person I'd want to roast me. Like, I, I, this guy, like, <laughs> you just absolutely crushed Jordan Poole there. <laughs> you, have you, have you, did you watch this stuff? I, I couldn't believe it. It's one after the other. I mean, what yeah. the heck? 
it, it has been pretty bad. So well it, said it, there. It helps. This is why forty eight minutes. This is why forty eight minutes is such a good show. You don't get that kind of snark anywhere else. <laughs> no. You can't write good stuff without good material. And Jordan Poole, thank you for the good material. He is definitely good material. Well, for my final thought, you know, just kind of like my opening tip, I started things off with a question for you both. So I thought I'd end this show with a question for you both. And that is a simple one. What are our thoughts on these uh, in-tournament season courts? And Bruce, I'll start with you. Hideous, horrible. The players get lost in the background. And I don't know if you guys saw, but Grant Williams during the pregame shoot around in Denver the other night, noticed that his three-point shots were com- were coming up short. They actually painted the three-point line too far away from where it was supposed to be. They had to repaint the three-point line. You know, this was like the morning shoot-around, I guess. Right. They had to repaint the three-point line before the game began. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> World B? Well, I'll say this. I'm one of these people that doesn't mind the attempt to change things up. I think you need to do things like that. I, I'm a baseball fan, and they, you know, when the baseball tries to make some things different, I was on board with it. I'm fine with it. This is tough. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, this, this is tough. From the concept of the in-season tournament, which I'm, even though I have no idea still how it all works exactly, I'm willing to give it a shot, to the over-the-top, attention that their leagues are required or uh, networks are required to talk about to the courts itself, which, you know, it's just bad. I, I want to come up with something. I couldn't top Jordan Poole this week, so I'm not even going to try. It's just, <laughs> it's not good so far. And it's, it's really going to be a bad look for the league if this keeps going forward with these courts, because it's yeah. not good. No, I'm in full agreement with you guys. I mean, at this point, Get me back to regular hardwood. Can't we just have the score bug say this is an intern in tournament season game, or just put the tra- championship trophy in there by the logo, like just insert it with the logo and, and call it a day. But this whole, I mean, we're talking bold courts. It, it's 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 visually hard on the eye. I get a headache watching it, and uh, probably the best tweet I've seen so far is the Denver game. Someone said that the court looked like a blockbuster card like the old video <laughs> store <laughs> I couldn't agree more it looked exactly like that so uh, guess we'll just have to put up for it uh for the time being but with that that will do it for this edition of the 48 minutes podcast on believe presented by bet online thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date and 48 on all things nba take care everybody <laughs>